Today's episode of Into the Van is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you can always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And be sure to add our podcast Into the Van in How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Rogue Radio, where rogues come to hang. With Alex Tempest and Bob Lothian bringing you the best in classic and modern country music. Hey guys, welcome to Into the Van. Today we are brought to you by Rogue Radio and Rogue Country. Rogue Country is a new collective by artists for artists. It's playing honest music for honest folks and it's just supporting all those genres artists and musicians that either get overlooked by the mainstream or don't get a look in at all and you know it's for blues country western honky tonk whatever the fuck i play folk murder folk and any type of genre that's just steeped in that roots tradition and it's whatever way people have taken it we've got some amazing artists that we found through it including today's guest rob henry and it's just a really positive collective to be a part of so you can go join on rogue country on facebook instagram and twitter there's a new radio show called rogue radio which is playing the best of modern roots artists and rogue artists so there's obviously robert henry's getting played on there josh bettis kings and queens charles wesley godwin sarah shook amelia quinn alongside the legends such as waylon jennings buck owens hank williams the Louvin brothers and it's just showing how great these genres are. So I urge you to go listen to Rogue Radio. Go check out Rogue Country and go listen to those artists I've just mentioned. It's a super fun thing that I'm so proud to be a part of. And it's really just pushing a scene and an ideal that I think is lacking in not just the UK scene, but the scene overall. As always, we are, of course, brought to you by The Next Life, which is my album, I'm super proud of this record and I hope you've listened to it on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you want to listen to it. And, I, you know, the love and care that went into this record, not just by myself, but the other musicians like Travis Egnor and Amy Chalmers, I really think it's the best record I've made so far and I'm so fucking proud of it. I'm so happy that I got to share it with people. So I'm going to drop a track in now. Am I free? 
the next life over on my band camp you can go to my website at mike333west.com and you know just i don't care where you listen to it as long as you listen to it because i put a lot of time and effort into this record it's something i'm super proud of and i just want to share it with as many people as i can so if you're a fan of this podcast and the artists i'm interviewing you might enjoy my music so go check out guys as i briefly mentioned today's guest is robert henry of the robert henry band i found him through rogue country his song storm the gate is fucking brilliant and I'm a big fan of this guy. He's just released a new EP, which we talk about in this episode as well. And he has that classic sound that is not missing from modern music, but it's very fucking rare. And he does it so well. He has a metal background like I do, so that's something that's interesting. And how he commits and performs this purely authentic country music, something to behold. I hope he comes over to the UK so I can see him live. But until then, we've got his records. This is a really interesting chat because, you know, he's very opinionated. Storm the Gate is a critique on Nashville and the modern country scene. He has his opinions and we get into it and it's a really fun chat. So let's get down to it, guys. This is episode 15 of Into the Van with Mike West and Robert Henry. Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Cool, man, and how's uh, everything treating you? Because I know you're one of the few musicians I've actually seen having dates to play with him. So are you playing or is it around Wyoming? Uh, yeah, so we're in Wyoming. We've, we've played some shows in Montana. Uh, we played in South Dakota. We played the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Mm. That was that was pretty cool. Really good crowd over there. Um, you know, trying to stay as safe as we can, uh, mm. wearing masks and and not doing a lot of back slapping and handshaking and, and mingling with the crowd a lot afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're doing what we can, but at the same time we got to work. So yeah. we're, we're just, it's, 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 it's been an interesting time trying to strike a balance between keeping everybody safe and healthy and their families and everybody in the mm-hmm. band and everything. And, um, and still being able to go out and, and do what we love to do. I think that's the important thing, man. And I think, I think you're one of the few musicians I've seen online actually add dates. I think are you going back out in September for a bit in a week? We're or going so? out uh, in less than a week. We're going out in about five days. Oh, cool, man! And how have the crowds been during this when you've been playing? Honestly, they're starved for live music, uh, mm. and it's been great. Cool, man. I think uh, that's that's how I think picture it in my head is just everyone's kind of got this pent up not like aggression but there's a tension i think that's underlying everything and i think when live music can come back it's such like a amazing way to alleviate that tension Mm -hmm. yep that was especially true in uh in sturgis uh south dakota because you had the big motorcycle event and uh there's people coming in from all areas of the country and I mean, if you live anywhere near a major population center or on either coast, I mean, everything is just, I mean, you can't go out and do anything. Mm. Uh, so all those people were just ready to party. Mm. Um, and it was, it was a neat, it was a neat time. Um, probably some of the nights where it would have been slower. Um, it was, it was pretty busy because everybody was, like you said, they got cabin fever. They're all pent mm. up. So that's the thing. Cause have you played stages before? I have not. 
Uh, I've, even... I've heard I've heard the reputation of it because I know him. Um, I did a few gigs with a guy called Cecil Allen Moore a few years ago in um, Scotland, and he's the guitarist for David Allen Coe as well. Mm-hmm. So I've seen him do stages and stuff. So I know the reputation, but I don't know, you know how I didn't really know how big the like whole thing is really. Yeah, it's uh, I mean the numbers were obviously down this year, but it was still I mean pretty good crowd. Um, now of course. Uh, since you had a, a bunch of people from out of town coming there, uh, the numbers have gone up a bit in South Dakota. But, mm. you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, we're just going to keep going to the places that will let us work. And, mm. uh, but, yeah, Sturgis, I mean, even in the on the off year, it was still nuts. So yeah. it was really fun. Cool, man. Like, it's such an interesting thing. And obviously you have – it's in the works. Is that now what? date did that come out was that august or july that came out uh it was august 7th cool, uh, and so what's actually... the um reception been like to that uh it's been good uh you know for what it is i mean we're just really starting out it's our first mm. official release i mean i was releasing singles before but um and we wanted to do a full album this year but just with everything going on we could only get into the studio so much mm. so i ended up just kind of having to use what I uh, had to work with. Uh, I had a couple tracks that I had recorded in Nashville last year that ended up making it on there that I had released as singles previously, but just wanted to put them on the album to have more songs. Mm. Um, and then uh, like three or four other ones that we had uh, recorded in Oregon with my live band, which I actually prefer to do it with my live band because we were kind of starting to develop a sound. Mm. Um but the reception's been good. Uh, our listenership has increased since we released the EP. Uh, it's increased uh, like three hundred percent. Really? So uh, yeah, I just I just got the numbers in from for the month of August from Spotify, and it's it's doing really well. I'm I'm actually really surprised. Oh, amazing! Man. I think it's such an important thing. I know there was this whole thing from the Spotify CEO where he was saying albums were dead. And how artists should pull out music shouldn't be in the album format or the EP format. It should be singles and singles, which I get if you're the CEO of Spotify. But from, you know, time in memoriam and every artist I talk to, it always seems that the EP or the album is the flag you plant, like, on your hill to die on for the foreseeable future. And I think there's still such an incredible value, especially for a new artist to release a full album or a full EP. Yeah, well, and and also, I mean, this is with every genre, but in country music, a lot of times there's, I mean, think of uh, things like, uh, gosh, what, the the album that Johnny Cash did that was all like Native American theme songs and like the mm. the uh, redheaded stranger from Willie Nelson. I mean, there's there's concepts that go into it and i mean the one that coulter walls just put out western swings mm. and waltzes it's total western cowboy theme and you know his first one was imaginary appalachia and it was a lot of songs that were kind of like in a southern setting mm. so you know there's different themes and different like concepts a lot of times that go into an album so mm. i mean i don't know i i've heard that too but i feel like albums still have a place uh, there's yeah. going to be a lot more releasing of singles in between albums, but uh, I mean, I don't see the album format going anywhere, especially when you have a fan base built up. Mm. They don't want just one song at a time. They want a collection of them. 
and then you can go out and tour on the album mm. you know so but maybe i don't know what i'm talking about who knows <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i i'm always more inclined to be a spotify ceo doesn't know what he's talking about because i think he was behind napster first so of course oh, the guy yeah. <laughs> of course the guy who devalued music for 20 years is gonna shit on albums and not want you know uh -huh. anyone to do something of any actual value but yep. i'm 100 on your side i love the album format when i was doing my record i wanted the track listings to have its own place i didn't think of it as this is going to be a single i'm going to put four songs in between them it was this is track one this is track two mm -hmm. onwards and i think i don't think well, maybe they do, but I kind of worry that people don't realize how much thought goes into track listing and, you know, yep. the whole vibe of an album. And I didn't even realize with Coulter's stuff, what you were saying, how he's going for different vibes on different things. Because I loved the imaginary Appalachia album. I wasn't a fan of his second album, but then his third one, this newest one, I've been like, oh, this is really interesting again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that second one was kind of a transition and you could, I mean, you could hear by the way that he was writing, he was kind of transitioning from that more blues style into mm. a more country western uh, mm. style. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's a recurring thing. And, and like you said, I mean, I was very deliberate about the way I ordered the each track because mm. um, I, I wanted to have some sort of, of ebb and flow and, and up and down and that there's absolutely a reason why each song is in the place that it's in so cool man and like that's the interesting thing about your music because the first song i heard of yours was storm the gate which you released as a single prior to in the works and then it was on in the works and it's such not even just a standout track but the way that the ep kind of works up to that and then how it transitions from that was was storm the gate did you see that as one of your most well well-known songs even considering you know like it's obviously not redheaded strange or anything it's one of those songs but it's probably one of your most recognizable was it a conscious effort to put that somewhere in the ep oh yeah yeah um i actually considered uh kicking off the ep with that song mm. um in fact that was the plan until i wrote the title track it originally was just going to be called in the works and mm. i was going to expect people to just glean it's in the works it's an EP. It's not even a full album. You know, everything's screwed up. The world's gone crazy. Mm. It's in the works. Here you go. Mm. Like, <laughs> um, but then I ended up writing the title track, like maybe eight or 10 days before we were supposed to go into the studio. Really? And, um, <clears throat> I, uh, ended up putting that one first. And then I wanted to, I kind of wanted to blend the sonic identity as much as I could because for the tracks and if you listen closely and if you know anything about production and, and just, just the way things are done at all in the studio, you can tell if you listen closely, which ones were done in Nashville and which ones were done out West mm. with my live band. So I kind of wanted to, to stick the two in it from uh, the Nashville sessions in the middle and then kind of blend in and blend out with, the ones that I had done with my live band. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah. um, with the actual track in the work, so you wrote that before you went into the studio because I was listening to that track and I was wondering about the tenor on time on that because so you had the EP title first and then from there you kind of built that song around it. 
So I actually had the artwork first, mm. the, the innards of that old John Deere combine. Uh, and this artist out of Portland, Oregon, Bradley DeLay, his uh, grandparents owned this, uh, this land um, in northern Idaho. And I guess that old tractor's just been sitting there uh, since he was a kid and he used to use it as a jungle gym and he had <laughs> gone back and, and taken pictures of it and we were just going back and forth on some ideas and mm. um, he sent me that picture I was like huh that's that's interesting and then he sent me a zoomed in version of it that which is just like that 10 by 10 square and um, I was like okay so it's an EP I could call it in the works and so I just kind of went with that and then like three weeks later I was like just kind of toying around with, I was jotting some stuff down. I was like, huh, this could be like the title track and I could make it about. So it was like three different angles that I was coming from. It was, it was first I got the artwork. I was like, oh, that's cool. It's in the works. And it's literally in the works of the belts mm. and gears of the machinery. Right. And then, uh, I had the idea for the song, which the song is, you know, the albums in the works, um, because everything is, so screwed up right now in the world mm. so yeah and i i, I kind of touched on uh what it's like to be a musician during all this yeah and then i i kind of touched on um the, i i think i wrote it in like june um and all the rioting and 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 protesting and uh all the unrest mm. um, it, it, at least in the states i don't know how it is over there but um that had just started. It was like the first week of June. So I kind of touched on some of that stuff. And I was like, you know, you've heard the song. We got to come yeah. together so we can all get back to work. Yeah. That's what I really enjoyed about your EP is like the songwriting of it feels it's got that traditional honky tonk Buck Owen style, just like drenched in that kind of genre, like just not even the cliches, but those like benchmarks of the genre that make it so stand out especially against like most modern things but it was still really contemporary and you know when you're still talking about those things it's you immediately identify with what's going on mm. in the world right now which is a really interesting mix of things to do and that's what i really enjoy about like modern stuff obviously you don't have to fucking quote tiktok or like give shouts to modern things in that sense but it has a contemporary feel to it yeah, I just kind of try and write what I see, but then the music, I try to, you know, obviously we have our own sound as the Robert Henry band, but I try to keep it in that more traditional vein, which, you mm -hmm. know, like some of it, I'll, I'll throw some piano in there, which we don't use a piano live, but a baseline, it's got twangy Telecaster and lots of pedal steel. Mm -hmm. That's my, I, in fact, I, I, I don't even like to play live anymore without a pedal steel because it adds so much to the sound and it makes it sound so country. Even mm. songs that aren't really all that country, like you know, we do a we do a couple when we're doing stuff live. Um, we do a couple like twelve bar blues songs just mm. just to to jam out and showcase the band. But as soon as you add that pedal steel in there, it makes it sound like a country song, even though it's really just just a twelve bar blues. Mm, uh, I think it's the pedal steel is such a weird one because it's so iconic and it just oozes that country sound. And then I think that is part of the problem with this modern, you know, pop country 
where if you stripped away that pedal steel, that instantly makes you think of that. How country would those songs actually be? Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting question. I mean, strip away uh, the pedal steel on some of the classic stuff too. It's mm. like all all those hooks um, that that those guys used to play for Ralph Mooney and Buddy Emmons and uh, John Huey and all those all those great steel players. Norm Hamlet. Strip away those those licks, and you know you've got a completely different mm. different thing going on. Mm. so it, it really is the sound of country music yeah it is and with you play the telly don't you so what's your setup live for like your live shows and your sound i'm pretty simple um mostly just because i i don't uh i don't i don't know that much about uh gear um i use a yeah i play a telly um and from what I can gather, I literally cannot find a serial number on it. Uh, I picked <laughs> up a guitar, at a guitar show um, in Southeast Portland uh, a couple years ago, and from from what I can gather, it's a it's an old uh, Fender Custom, maybe from the '60s. Mm. Um, and I mean, this this obviously was somebody's baby at some point because it's got like just the tone, just through, just clean just sounds like mm. that's telecaster like i i don't know if I, I i don't i have the words to describe it but that sound whatever mm. you're thinking of it's that and i don't even have to put <laughs> anything on it um so i'll use a all i really use is a compressor and then i play mm. through a fender deluxe hot rod cool man. yeah so yeah i'm always obsessed with like the tele sound because it does seem that like if you just push one thing one way, it just completely loses that signature telly sound. And it's, I, I really enjoy, like, whenever I get to a gig, I'm always, if I manage to get to the front row, I'm staring at the pedal boards and the self first just to see what's going on. But you had a metal background originally, didn't you? Were you in a metal band first? I was in a metal band when I was like 15, 16, 17. Uh, we had a metal band, uh, we were called Bigger Trigger. <laughs> and we did everything from you know slayer and metallica and anthrax and iron maiden juice priest all the way up to i mean one time we even covered a rat song <laughs> i mean we were like all over the place but hard rock heavy metal um and actually my drummer that i play with now was in that band with me back in the day oh really uh, yeah so but yeah, we had fun. I uh, eventually my voice changed, and I always grew up with country music from my parents. And eventually my voice changed, and I, I, I couldn't sing the, the uh, Rob Halford or Bruce Dickinson or Ryan James Dio style of singing. And I was like, mm. oh, okay, country stuff is pretty cool. I've always liked it. And now I can sing it, so I'm gonna focus on that. <laughs> oh, amazing man! I was in a thrash band when I was like 17, up until I was about 19. And I kind of did the same thing as you, but it wasn't, you know, I was, I did more of like the screaming style of stuff. So it was like more thrash, slightly more mm -hmm. Slayer, Pantera side of things. Yeah. And I, I, even back then I knew I couldn't maintain that vocal range for as, for like a prolonged period of time. And then the band kind of dissolved and I was just sat there listening to a load of country and blues records. And I always felt that that was more, 
accurate for like my own songwriting voice and my own thoughts than a metal band would be. Mm-hmm. Because when I was in a metal band, I don't know if you were the same thing, but I was pretty an extreme, like just a stubborn, stupid kid. So a lot of my viewpoints were like black and white and there wasn't much room for gray area. And as I've gotten older and like reflected more as a songwriter, there's a lot more gray. And I've been re- it's been really interesting to see that like perspective as like that young kid writing metal songs to what I do now. I I definitely hear you on that. I was the same way. I was it was black and white. Like if you're not metal, then <laughs> you know. I mean, we would some of the thrash shows you get punk kids showing up too. Mm. Like so, like I went to I think God, what was it? It was Overkill and. Uh, I want to say they were with Exodus that time around. <laughs> nice. And like I said, like some of the hardcore kids will show up at the thrash shows. And like we used to just, the the punk kids and the metal kids would just like go at each other in the mosh pit for no reason, <laughs> just because we were into different stuff, even though mm. we're the same show. And really thrash <laughs> metal is just a mix of, of hardcore punk and heavy metal anyways. Mm. So we're all there for the same reasons, but I was very black and white. Like you're like, you're, you're metal or fuck you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah <laughs> and what was kind of like when you picked up so like you had your metal when you started picking up the, like the tally and the country kind of stuff what were the albums that you were listening to that kind of influenced that change uh i was listening to a lot of um let's see honky tonk heroes mm. Waylon jennings uh pretty much anything that Merle Haggard ever put out. Um, I was listening to the stuff that I could sing because uh, mm. originally I wasn't playing a telly. In fact, for the first two years that I was playing out live, I didn't do any lead work. I just played an acoustic rhythm. Mm. It's only been in this iteration of the Robert Henry band that I've got back into like actually playing guitar because I knew my scales pretty well when I was doing um, the hard rock and heavy metal, but I kind of just dropped out of it. Um, mm. But it came back to me pretty quick once I started using it again. And I do a lot more lead work now. Mm. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, I was I liked uh, Hank Jr. a lot mm. uh, when I was first getting back into it. Um, and then obviously Johnny Cash, because I, I could sing all those. Uh, I, have, I have a pretty low range, so I could sing all those deep voice songs. So mm. Cool, man. And that's your voice it's got again it's got one of those things where it's got such a like low baritone that just instantly just resonates and it just hits because i always kind of look or i really always want to be kind of blown away by a voice and i know that's a really high bar to set in like my head but it's just what i always go to and i remember when i first heard storm the gate that was like oh shit this is you know an iteration that i love from way back when and it's kind of read its head in different iterations but this is a new guy singing like that has that been you know a point of kind of like a focal point for an audience when you start singing does that kind of snap people's heads if they've not necessarily seen you before um i have had people come up to me and say so my my old band was like all old timers mm. um and i i have had people come up to me and say uh 
thinking that I was the guitar player, not really paying attention. Like I'm kind of mm. in their peripheral vision. <laughs> they're, they're, they're in the back at the bar, not really paying attention. And they'll, they'll go, uh, well, who, who's that uh, singer? He sounds really good. I'm like, oh, that's me. And they're like, no, fuck you. That's not you. <laughs> and then I get back up and they're like, oh, wow. Okay. I, I'm not a very big dude. Um, <laughs> and obviously I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm 27. So I don't really look the part that I think people, if they just hear me, I kind of sound like, like an older guy, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, it's definitely, yeah, people, people are surprised that, that I have this voice and they're like, well, where did it come from? I'm like, I don't know. I just sang a lot and, and just kind of developed my own thing. Yeah. And that's, it just kind of happens. Yeah. Well, you just have to use it mm. and then, and then you develop, uh, your, your own phrasing and your own style. And, you know, I just try to listen to a lot of, um, guys that have the same range, like Don Williams and mm. Johnny Cash and even guys like, uh, Josh Turner. I mean, that dude is pretty much right in my wheelhouse. Randy Travis, mm. I, I, I pick up a lot of my, or I try to emulate some of that phrasing um, because, you know, I'm never going to be able to sing like uh, Marty Stewart or or uh, any of the guys with, with more like higher voices. So I just, I listen to what, uh, what I can glean from phrasing wise. Cool, man. And that's, I always kind of, people always say they can't sing. And my dad's one of them people who's never been able to sing a note. But I've always tried to argue the point that you people can sing even if you have like zero ability. If you actually put the time in, it's just another instrument and muscle to train. But there seems to be such a perception. I don't know if it's from like reality TV or, you know, those type of shows, but it's either you have it or you don't. And I imagine that with the phrasing and stuff, that took a long time to truly like find your voice in this style. It did. It did. And uh, finding keys mm. that uh, would fit for me. Uh, and you know what? Yeah. The whole attitude that either you have it or you don't is just kind of bullshit in my opinion, because mm. uh, I mean, none of the guys in Kiss are particularly <laughs> good singers, but no. I mean, I can't think of a lot of bands that have sold more merchandise and more albums than they have. Mm. Um I mean, think about like all the, the all the guys in the alternative scene, like Steve Malcolmus from Pavement. Mm. I mean, that dude can't even sing a lick. I mean, he's talking half the time, mm. and he just kind of sounds like a whiny little nerd. But I mean, <laughs> he's you know considered one of the most influential people in the '90s alternative scene of all time. So, I mean, even uh, shit Neil Young, yeah, not an amazing singer, but a really great artist and found mm. his niche. So. Yeah. Yeah, and that is a myth that's been kind of uh, propagated by these shows like The Voice and American Idol, and you know, you know, there's there's people that are a lot worse singers than uh, some of the people that have won those shows mm. that have had careers that last thirty five, forty, fifty years in music yeah. mm. because they have their own way of doing things and they have something to say. Yeah, I always argued how superficial those shows were because you know if Bowie. Bob Dylan and Lemmy went on any of those shows. No one <laughs> yeah. would, no one would fucking turn around for the three of them. But they are three of the greatest musicians who have lived in the last century. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, so going on to, I wanted to try and break into your songwriting techniques a bit more. So I wanted to, I, I always, as a musician myself, and as like I've started doing this podcast and stuff, trying to be like explain your songwriting process to a musician is trying to be like, you know, describe the color of the sky. So <laughs> it's always one of those things. So I always prefer to try and go into an actual song. And obviously, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Storm the Gate. What was the songwriting process behind that song? Okay, well, Storm the Gate was I was uh, in a songwriting session in Nashville, and um, I was with the producer, and he was kind of helping me. Like we were bouncing ideas off each other, and basically, that song came from writing a bunch of songs that I didn't give a shit about. Mm. Um, it, 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 he didn't really get what I was there to do or what I was trying to do, like. There's a lot of people in Nashville that just assume like, oh, like you're here to make a hit. You want to make money. Like, let's make it happen. Mm. And we were just kind of disconnecting like, no, I I want to make a song that I care about. Yeah. That's that that is something that I would actually say in real life. Mm. Um, and the, just the whole thing was not going in a direction that I particularly cared for. Mm. and so we finished the songwriting session and the whole week uh he was like we got to get the songs past the gatekeepers all the people who make the decisions in <laughs> in nashville about what's cool what's not cool what should get played on the radio what shouldn't get played on the radio what's too country what's not country enough i all, all that stuff mm. and um i just kind of had that idea in my head and so after he left um, I sat up that night with a six pack of beer and I was like, who the hell are the gatekeepers? Mm. Time to storm the gate. Which like in my mind, I was like picturing uh, a bunch of dudes with guitars, like storming the gates of Helm's <laughs> Deep and the Lord of the Rings, like sick, um, which is like kind of harkens back to my heavy metal days. Like I was mm. thinking of like of like an old Man of War song, like <laughs> just uh, so yeah, I, I, I wrote that and then I played it for the guy the next day and he was like, all right, we're cutting that one. Mm. So I don't know if he pissed me off on purpose. So I'd write something decent mm. uh, or if he just heard it and, and said, that's what we're doing. But literally, I think it was like the day of like the morning we were going to go into the studio and uh, mm. I played him that and I played him dark side. And that's, that's two of the ones that we ended up cutting. And then we cut a couple other ones that uh, just, I didn't care for so they'll probably never see the light of day <laughs> that's interesting man so like i've never co-written or worked in a songwriting thing and obviously nashville has this huge reputation for that was that something like how many sessions did you have before that how many co-writes or songwriting sessions have you worked on before that session uh i hadn't worked i mean we I was there for eight or 10 days and we were trying to write songs the whole time mm. um, because we were going to go and track it uh, on the next to last day. And then I was going to do my final vocal, like before I got on the plane. So mm. we were just like trying to maximize our time. I hadn't done anything like it before. Haven't really done anything like it since unless writing with my band counts. Mm. Um, 
for the most part, I just want it to be my voice. Mm. I, uh, you know, if I, if I hear something I really like, there's been a couple of local musicians here in Oregon that have put out albums. And I'm like, Hey man, do, would you mind if I, if I cut that? Mm. Um, but that's, that's pretty rare. I, I like to write my own stuff. I don't, and I don't see Nashville used to be about the song. Mm. Now it's about the formula. Yeah. Um, you know, back, back in the fifties, sixties, even into the seventies, uh, it really truly was about crafting a really good song that told a story or made you feel something. And now it's like, okay, what's going to make the most money? Mm. Because at some point they decided that instead of marketing to their bread and butter, uh, you know, the traditional country music audience, which tends to be middle-aged blue collar working class males. Mm. Um, they started marketing to teenage girls because they figured out there was a lot more money there because mm. uh, mommy and daddy are going to buy the concert tickets and are going to buy the the records and, and, you know, whatever the heck else. Mm. Um, and the teenage girls are also the trendsetters. Yeah. So, you know, they, they figured that out and then they just kind of went with that and, and really abandoned their, their core audience. Mm. Um, and it, you know, obviously, just because of age and stage, as long as it has a pop hook in it and a good groove, doesn't matter what you're really singing about. Mm. That's why every country song now is girl, truck, beer. <laughs> I mean, it's like, sounds like a, a frat boy's grocery list. Um, <laughs> I, I, I could go on and on about that, but there's nothing I can do about that. So I'm going to do what I, what, what I want to do and I'm going to make music how I want to make it. And the beautiful mm -hmm. thing about it is the record companies are going the way of the dinosaur in yeah. our lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about the album format like we talked about. I think that'll stick around. But the record companies and the Nashville dinosaur old way of doing things, um, I think that's that's eventually going to go down the tubes because yeah. you can literally market to your niche. Like mm. I know, I know who's going to listen to my music. I don't have to go to all these FM radio stations who don't give a shit about real country music anyways. Mm -hmm. um, and say, please play me because they're not the only outlet anymore. Yeah. There's Spotify, there's Apple music. You can target your whole marketing plan to people that are going to care. Um, and I know who those people are because I'm one of them. Yeah. And so it's 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 pretty straightforward for me, and that's that's what we're building right now. And that's... There's, there's guys out there doing it right now. I mean, there's the Whitey Morgans and the Cody Jinks and yeah. the Mike and the Moon Pies and Coulter Wall, and I, I could go on. But yeah. that's such an interesting man because, like, there's a lot to unpack there. But I know from that Storm the Gate song, the um, I hope I don't butcher the words, but it's the part where it's like. They torn up and paved over all the routes that run so deep. That chorus, that hook to me was a hook I haven't really heard in modern music in a while. And that hook to me is something that could be on a mainstream radio. For my ears, it was something that sounded, you know, epic, anthemic. And for that to not be the route that people go down is weird. And I saw the CMA nominations. I don't pay attention to those like nominations or the award shows and things but i saw it was on an article and it was dan and shay and justin bieber were nominated for something for some ten thousand hours song and it yeah. is 
100 percent it's marketed to the teenage girls of the world which that's where the money is that's you know when you see the pictures of beatlemania that's what you see is the screaming teenage fans yeah but to actually still think that it's about the music at that stage is just a farce and i think that's what the record industry is coming up against now yeah um because people who want something more and know in their hearts that there's something missing from mainstream music will go out and seek it Mm. and you know we want to be in the position where when they scratch the surface a little bit we're there Mm -hmm. so um but yeah uh and then you know every once in a while they'll throw the traditional country fans a bone Mm. like you know they're trying to market uh and you know I'm, i'm not i'm not ragging on anybody everybody has a different song in their heart I just happen to be a little bit more traditional because for some reason I'm a 90 year old man on the inside. <laughs> um, but you know, they'll try and say, Oh, well, uh, God's country by Blake Shelton. Like people will say, Oh, well that's, that's more country. And then they'll say, Oh, uh, Luke Combs is kind of bringing it back. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like that's, that's just pop country. That sounds like it's from 10 years ago. Mm. <laughs> Like, and by the way, whoever says long neck ice cold beer never broke their heart doesn't drink enough goddamn beer. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> man. It's, a, it's a really weird situation because it's always been this kind of mainstream best, the underground in every genre. But for country music, it does seem to be at the forefront of these issues. And I always, obviously, in the UK, it's different because the UK country scene over here it still has that level of superficial like award shows and organizations and things Mm -hmm. and it's still people think that that's the route to take despite you know if you look at the american model of you know the cma is the biggest thing but stagel hasn't won anything isbel's not done anything you know when was the last time christopherson was there and it's you see all these artists thriving outside of the industry but people still think you need to pander to it and there's so many amazing artists coming through now that don't. And I think people like yourself are showing that there is always a route around it. But it still baffles me to this day where people still try and participate in it. Yeah, um, I think it's uh, it's just more work for people that are more on our side of the scene to uh, get the word out. Mm. Um, because... and. I, it's almost it's almost paradoxical uh, because you do have guys like uh, Sturgill Simpson and Isbell and, and Stapleton and these guys, which a lot of what they put out isn't pure country. I mean, they're mm. not putting out Buck Owens records no. or anything. But it's a lot more country than anything that's on country radio. Mm-hmm. And they're not just appealing to country music fans. In fact, most of the people that follow the CMAs and are in that world couldn't even tell you those guys' names. Mm. But then you have people like Sturgill Simpson and Casey Musgraves winning Grammys, which is a whole other level and a whole other bigger audience than the CMAs. Mm. So country music is uh, missing out on a big piece of the pie 
by not respecting country music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird, man. And it's like it's weird because obviously country radio and you know the opry has this place in country music fandom and in country music hearts, but then you know, you scratch the surface and they kicked out Hank Williams. They like blacklisted Johnny Cash while Columbia then dropped Johnny Cash. And you see how these even the big artists ha- were shunned by you know the establishment. And it's still people, you know, go towards the establishment still. And it's I just it's really baffling as like an outside. Like obviously I'm UK. I wasn't like raised on country music and stuff. So just as kind of a you know outsider of the genre, and then you know loving it, embracing it, and playing it. It's weird to see why people still you know, worship at that temple. Yeah. And one thing I do want to hit on, I've done a lot of interviews with uh, you guys across the pond and you always are, are qualifying that, well, I'm an outsider and I didn't grow up with country (laughs) music. Let me remind you that the people who started making country music, however many years ago, Mm. came from the British Isles for the most part. Mm, but that's the uh, folk songs, that, yeah, like that, that, that vibe to that it. That folk tradition, that storytelling tradition that is a direct uh, relative, a very close relative to country music. Mm. So you guys don't have to qualify yourselves in any way because that storytelling tradition comes from your culture. So thank you. That's well, one thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm English, so if I accepted like, a responsibility for that, I'd have a lot of Scottish and Irish and Welsh people screaming at me for being another English person that takes credit for Uh, the country stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, as an English person, it does seem more like my culture to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's weird, man, because obviously the UK had this amazing folk, because all the original murder ballads and those type of songs that carried over to like the Appalachian standards were written in Great Britain. But then we had you know, a country scene throughout the 50s and 60s that was really good. And it seems in the last maybe 10 years, there's been this, like, distilled, hyper-created um, pop country scene in the UK that's been really weird and really divisive. And we've had this outdated club scene, which has been a really weird thing to get over because a lot of what the UK has to deal with is a lot of costumes and a lot of pretend like like i don't know if have you played in the uk have you come over here i have not but uh it's been talked about well hopefully you will and but hopefully you won't have to endure seeing a british act put on an american accent which i've seen a few times and there's this battle of authenticity that is raging in the uk because people are scared of embracing actual uk country music for some strange reason and there's just this weird clash at the moment um it's interesting that you say that because uh on a smaller um scale um like a more regional scale in the united states you know obviously i live on the west coast i talk kind of plain for Mm. for for the American accent, I, I would consider myself standard American. Um, some of my vowels might be a little different, but uh, as far as, I mean, I, I kind of sound like like a regular American on, on any sitcom TV show that, that you'd see. 
Mm. Um, but there's people who are from the Northeast who have talk really sharp like this. And there's people from the Midwest who are kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. And there's people from, you know, all, all kinds of areas of the country who play country music and they feel like they have to say, all right, y'all, well, we're going to do this number for you. All right. Mm. So uh, thanks for being here. And it's like, why are you talking like you're from Tennessee or Arkansas or, or you know, mm. Alabama? You're from California. Mm. Just talk like you talk and sing like you sing because mm. country music fans can sniff out fake from a mile away. It's weird that that's just be yourself. It's strange that that's actually a thing. Maybe it is like the weight or the idea of country music that forces that, but it is weird to have like, you know, people from like lads, you're from Wigan, pack it in. And it's still, it's this weird, not a reputation, but there's this weird, I don't even know if people think they have to be obliged to do it, but then it kind of again goes back to they just cut away what made actual uk country and folk great mm-hmm. and it's a really sad thing to see and i think it's you know what you've been talking about in your records and what we've been talking about it's that thing of authenticity that's always at the core of every single issue in music yeah yeah it's true i mean shit i don't care where anybody's from <laughs> uh i mean there was you know talk about back in my younger days i was like well how can you be a country singer if you're not from the united states like this mm. is our music which to a degree is is kind of mm. true but i mean shit if you're from india and you're singing great country music i'm gonna freaking listen yeah you know i don't i don't care i just like good music and and i want i want authentic yeah i don't want you know you you get these bands in the pacific northwest where like i said like it's kind of like a like a plain accent and it's you got people saying y'all mm. on stage. It's like, we don't, that's not part of our dialect in this part of the United States. Why are you saying y'all? We say mm. you guys. It's, it's, it's not a thing. Please stop faking it. It's mm. annoying. Yeah. It's a weird one, man. Like, obviously, we, like, I've personally seen a guy tie an American flag to his guitar and sing. He did a mashup of Fresh Prince of Bel Air and Sweet Home Alabama and spoken an American accent during that entire song. And it was the most cringeworthy thing I've seen in a while. And then I've seen on the club scene people dressed up as Native Americans, which is a whole other level of wrongness <laughs> that I just can't even wrap my head around. Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, that's the issue with the UK scene at the moment is it is seen as a parody of itself, and it's it's hard to try and like take back the roots of it when it gets to that level. But it's something we're trying to like do as like the small artists of the scene. So hopefully we can like outlive these fucking idiots and put it on the right track. (laughs) Uh, And you know what, man, the same thing has happened probably three or four times over in in the states. you think back to like uh, the the late fifties, sixties. You know, all, all these guys wearing you know rhinestones and nudie suits mm. and like the most expensive boots and the Cadillacs with the uh, you know the horns on the on the front. Mm. Um, and then you had 
Will Nelson and Waylon Jennings come out and they're mm. wearing they're wearing jeans and a t-shirt and a basic black cowboy hat and uh you know, Willie's wearing a bandana and they, they look like bums. They look like hippies. <laughs> and they kind of brought the music back to, you know, we're going to be authentic, mm. you know, and not to say that the guys wearing, I mean, Waylon says it in that song, rhinestone suits and new shiny cards. It's been the same way for years. We need to change. Mm. So yeah, exactly. It, it goes up and down and in between. And, you know, it's, you know, we, we have this, uh, I think, especially we got to remember, um, this is not the only time in country music that there's been a clash between where we've been and where we're going to go. Mm. Um, because it's, it's been happening pretty much since its inception. Mm. I mean, you know, people thought that, uh, the Carter family was too commercial at one point. So, <laughs> it, you know, the, the, the older people and the people who are really into the roots of the music are always going to have something to say about the new stuff. Unfortunately, now it's gotten so far from the roots of the music that, like, we really got to remind people either that or start our own fucking genre. Yeah. Because, I mean, basically, it's the stuff that's on country radio right now is um, it's pop with with a southern accent. Mm. I mean, j just because you're talking with a drawl or you, you're trying to sound or you're saying things that sound country doesn't make it country music. Mm. I mean, one of the most country songs that I've ever heard was Walking on the Sidewalks of Chicago. Merle Haggard, he's not talking about anything being in the country, being country, nothing. He's talking about being a bum in Chicago. And that's more country than any anything on the radio right now. So yeah. Yeah, it's I don't not have an opinion or anything. <laughs> it's not man. Like, I remember it took me. I don't know if I'm just like annoyed because it took me ages. Cause obviously when I first started singing, it goes back to what we were talking about before. I was dead nervous, finding my own footing, and I was a huge grunge Nirvana and Pearl Jam fan. Mm -hmm. So I, as a kind of defense, sang with this fucking horrendous Eddie Vedder style impression like way of singing. And it took me so long to try and snap out of it and find my own voice that it annoys me when people aren't trying to find their own and their own voice is what we need in these genres yeah uh so anyone who's listening just be yourself yeah uh listen to stuff that you um feel like you can sing and try and put your own twist on it mm. uh, because we want to hear from you mm. and i i've everybody does it you you just shared your you were doing the eddie vedder thing for a long time i would only sing in my like baritone i was doing like johnny cash always and mm. then i realized i was like okay i don't want to be johnny cash guy people <laughs> want to hear my songs in my voice from my point of view so you, it's just i mean it's easier said than done because mm. it's hard to get up in front of people but um yeah for anyone listening just try it try and make it your own whatever you're doing because mm. that's that's what art is yeah it is man i'm with so with your songwriting stuff, do you write it solo and then bring it to the band and then it builds up from there? Or is it a more creative process where you'll maybe have a few lines and someone else will come in and be like, this might go there? Um, usually, yeah. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I write most of the songs. Uh, sometimes me and my drummer, Jake, uh, 
we'll write songs together and there's a couple that he has written on his own uh, but mm. but usually the way we've done it is it gets written and then we bring it and it, we'll have like a basic chord progression um and then the guys throw their two cents in for mm. you know what like what if we changed keys here and what if we did like a start and a stop and a you know mm. all of all the stuff or what if we went from a you know a two four to a shuffle or you know mm. all, all the stuff that makes a song a song all the dynamics of it um that's the most fun part about it for me is not even the writing the arranging mm. um, because i'm not as good at that but i like to i like to be in a band setting and have us all working together and and creating the the music mm. that's one of the things i miss like i've been a solo artist for nearly four years now or Four years yesterday was my first live show, if memory serves. Um, but I've always done everything solo. And when I cut the full album, again, it was just me and a guitar. And we laid the tracks and stuff. But I knew I was going out to musicians. But I had zero expectations and zero notes. So when I got these musicians in and they brought these levels to it, that completely, you know, you never comprehend or think about like in planning. And the collaboration between it just took it to another level that I'm really excited to, you know, put more musicians together. Because I've got a fiddle player now that I play live with every now and then. And even that as an extra thing is just like taking these songs to a whole level where it makes actually makes me sound like I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one little fill or one little lick can make mm-hmm. an entire song. I mean, there, there's certain songs you listen to, listen to, and you're just waiting for that one little, little thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's really cool to see it come together. And uh, by the way, where can I listen to your stuff? Um, I'll send it over to you. I'm on, you know, Spotify and all the uh, major things, but I'll I'll shoot you over some stuff. Cool, cool. And what was your arrangement when you recorded? So what I did was, for the first EP, it was just me and a guitar. And a, it was three microphones set up in a room because I wanted to do like a Robert Johnson style thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where he was recording. So it was all live takes. We picked the best take. That was what we went with. So for this album, I wanted to build on that. So we cut all the guitars and vocals separately, like put them all together. And then it was going out to different musicians. And it was hard. I felt quite bad going to musicians because I didn't have a drum drummer. We weren't really playing to a click track. So it still had that really live, loose feel. Mm-hmm. And then we got, I don't know if you know Travis Egnor. He's a guy in the States who's played on some Chelsea Nolan records and things. Okay. And then there was a local fiddle player who was really fucking phenomenal, Amy Chalmers. So I went to them too. And I played bass and harmonica over some of the tracks as well, just as a, when I was writing them or when I was listening to them in the studio, I was like, that might fit there. Oh, and my uh, producer also played harmonica on a few tracks, but it's still quite sparse compared to what a full band would be. Well, uh, send me over. I, I want to listen to it. Mm. Yeah. But it's I'm interesting. And I'm, I don't know if you, like, I'm a huge, like, Talking Heads, David Byrne fan. And I remember when I was a kid, I saw this live show on a VHS or whatever my dad had of David Byrne came on with just his acoustic guitar. And then throughout the set, more musicians came on, adding to the sound to it. And I really mm-hmm. like that idea as a concept. So for the next album, I want to, bring some more stuff in and I'm definitely going to get a fucking drummer at some point. And that'll be like, try and like just push it a bit further. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the king of that is, uh, Waylon Jennings. 
Mm. There's so many of his songs is like he's like he'll start out just on the guitar, and then the bass will come in, and then a little mm. bit of a harmonica, and then it'll all kick in at once, and it's like you're just adding and adding and adding. It's mm. yeah, that's a that's a cool way to do it for sure. It's just something I've kind of not thought loads about. I was just like, this is quite a cool concept to kind of, you can audibly hear the evolution then. But mm-hmm. I had this really weird review of this album where this guy was like, as a musician, I can't help but hear harmonies and a banjo and a drummer. And I was like, how the fuck's that my, that's like my fault in a review? It's like, you've imagined something then. That's not my fault. As like a review <laughs> yeah. i was like just because you wanted to hear something else like like i kind of felt like well sorry i didn't do what was in your head but yeah. it was a really weird thing to be like because i get asked i don't know if you've had it when you've played solo if you have where it's like oh i wish i saw you with a full band which i get and i don't know if people get the full implications and costs of having a band out so it's like one of those things where it's like this is what you're getting right now mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. Look, people don't. A lot of people don't get what all goes into it. And then, mm. I mean, even if you're not playing with a band all the time, to to hire out the talent to go into the studio is not mm-hmm. cheap. Yeah. Um, because if you want it to sound good, you get you have to have people that um, know what they're doing, and those people definitely value their time. Yeah. 100%. So. Yeah. But yeah, no, I w- I wouldn't worry too about much about that. <laughs> You know, everybody's got an opinion so yeah that's the thing i'm like i'm always proud of the opinions i get i have a um slogan which i've been putting on t-shirts which is something people told me in kind of criticism which was not country enough not folk enough not blues enough too heavy and i was like <laughs> that's that's going to be my introduction from now on then and that's always something i've really enjoyed doing is like subverting expectations but um we're coming up to the hour mark so i just wanted to like you know i don't want to take up too much of your time so you've got the tour starting in less than a week, is it? And what's the future for the Robert Henry band? Uh, so yeah, we're going out on, I think a little two and a half week run, same area of the country. Um, we're doing, let's see, we're going to Red Lodge, Montana. We're playing a horse show at the rodeo grounds. Um, and after that, we're in Rapid City, South Dakota. And I think we've got a couple other ones in between. I don't have the list in front of me. Mm. Uh, and then we're going to wrap it up. Um, Actually, speaking of American Idol, we're opening up for uh, Josh Grayson mm. um, at the Outlaw Saloon in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah, we actually had the chance to open up for uh, Little Texas um, mm. as opposed to doing the Josh Grayson thing. But I really wanted to get the traditional music in front of like a younger crowd. Mm. Um, so we're going to do that and then back to Oregon. And then actually in October, we're going out again. We're going to play the Million Dollar Cowboy Bar in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, and then I think we're going to go back out to South Dakota uh, mm. and play the bar that we played in Spearfish during Sturgis Week. Um, other than that, uh, I'm going to try in between our, our two little runs that we're doing in September, October. Uh, we'll have a couple weeks off in between. I'm going to try and get in and do another single. Mm. Um so be on the lookout for that in the next few months. Um, I'm not sure which one we're going to do because we've got probably, you know, 12 to 15 more songs that we haven't mm. recorded. Oh, awesome. That are ready to go. Uh, and then 
yeah, we're just hoping to have a good year in 2021 and, and waiting for things to normalize a little bit more and possibly do a run to Texas, possibly do a run to the UK. Um, and for those of your listeners who haven't checked out my uh, social media, it's uh, we're probably most active on Instagram. It's at Robert Henry Music. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Facebook is Robert Henry Band. And you can buy merch and you can pre-order a copy of in the works on vinyl uh, for 20 bucks on our merch page at robertherrymusic.com. We've got hats, beer koozies, t-shirts, all the normal stuff. Oh, so. awesome. I'll, I'll drop all those links in the description for this podcast as well. But going on to what you're saying, how, so how long have you been the Robert Henry band for and how long have you been touring for? Uh, Robert Henry band. I want to say that I started calling it the Robert Henry Band in winter, well, like November of uh, 2017. Mm, cool, man. And what you were saying about like choosing the the gig that would get you in front of maybe the fans that weren't expecting or, you know, getting that traditional sound out. Have you made those like conscious decisions before in terms of, you know, touring and support opportunities and things like that. I haven't actually. I've pretty mm. much played in the same kind of genre, which mm. I mean, there's there's still plenty of uh, potential fans to be tapped in there. But um, I just figured, given this chance, so I guess part of the decision was we just opened up for Shenandoah mm. um, in uh, Miles City, Montana, which was awesome. Those guys were so cool. Um, lots of, you know, great country songs, you know, that, that late eighties, early nineties sound, um, just fun, fun country songs. Um, Mm. uh, so that, I mean, little Texas is kind of like the same era. So I was like, given the choice, like, let's, let's get in front of people. Uh, cause it it probably would have been a lot of the same people Mm. because little Texas is also a nineties band. So I just decided to, to go with the the American Idol guy, Josh Grayson, um, which, and I mean, he's got, he's had a ton of success uh, on all the streaming platforms and it seemed like he had a younger demographic and I, I want to get our, our traditional sound more out to, to that demographic. So mm-hmm. like I said, that makes sense, man. That's such a smart move. And especially like with the team behind you embracing Instagram, I think there's a lot of new technologies and platforms that the country scene aren't using yet because i know mm-hmm. i've been watching him um, mahifi from trivium i've been watching his live streams and they did a full band one the other week which was amazing but there's not many musicians that are really embracing these new things and if live stream on facebook's going the way it's apparently going i think a lot of people are going to be caught out if they don't go to these things yeah uh that's one cool thing that's come out of this whole pandemic is all these live stream opportunities. Mm. Uh, and I can't believe, you know, in the past, even, even in the past 10 years with the advancements in technology, that it wasn't more of a thing before. Mm. Like I, it's, it's, uh, and I hope it sticks around because it's, there's, there's some people who uh, live in corners of the world where, I may never even be able to play a live show. Mm. You can see Robert Henry band live and I can plug for my merchandise and for my, you know, the hard copies of my, my music and, and make sure people have all the streaming platforms. Correct. Uh, 
and and reach people all over the world. It's it's really pretty neat. I hope that's a facet that sticks around in the industry. I think it will. Mm, yeah, hopefully. And I think there's definitely new ways to do it as well because I do some through Zoom every now and then, which I found engages better with, you know, instead of the Facebook crowd because Facebook, you can kind of drop in, drop out. But mm -hmm. if I set up a Zoom meeting where people can join, not only are people more engaged in the comment section and things, but I've actually sold more merch through those. It's been a really interesting thing to look at. And obviously, like, I'm so happy that I started this podcast in March because it's given me every two weeks some content to put out and a new, like, creative, like, outlet. And obviously getting to chat with yourself is a huge fucking highlight. But it's been such an amazing thing. And I'm hoping a few more musicians would do this because it gives you more of an opportunity to express yourself outside of your lyrics and songs. And it's such an interesting medium to start taking over. Yeah. And I mean, these type of things and, and independent publications like yours, uh, first of all, it's super fun to just get on and shoot the shit about music because <laughs> we obviously have like a similar level of music knowledge. So that is just really fun to just kind of, mm. I mean, you know, we had a whole section there where we were just kind of like, just, just going back and forth about stuff. Mm. I, I love, especially when we're talking about music. Um, and then it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to open up and, and really, cause like sometimes like some of these songs I've written and like some of the stories I've never even told. So it's mm. like, you know, when, when, when you're asking the right questions, it, it makes it a really cool thing for, uh, either people who haven't heard me before that are fans of you or people that are fans of me that that are listening to your podcast because I'm on here mm. it's like a cool new story every time I do one because it's it, there's always a different question that brings something else out it's, it's oh. really fun and I, I oh. particularly enjoyed this one man like oh well thank you so much I've been because I've been doing this I've done because I've been I've brought an album I've been doing radio interviews and things and I've realized how much I love podcasting compared to the radio stuff because the radio stuff's fun, but they want you to sum up your entire career in less than like two minutes. Yeah. So you seem to just be trying to rattle off as much as you can. And then you're like, no one's even going to be listening to this because I'm just talking too fast. Yeah. So I've been doing these, these like an hour long. So I get to, you know, elaborate and go off on tangents. And then when I go back to doing radio stuff, I'm like, oh my God, I've got to wrap this up like i just did one with him alex tempest for rogue radio for a like a recommend section mm -hmm. and the segment went for over half an hour which for a radio show is not fucking good so we have to re-record the thing because we just enjoyed talking to each other that much we just went off on complete tangents which is yeah. something that i think podcasts can be really great for musicians who have opinions like yourself to do so what i'm trying to say is you should definitely start a podcast Hey, I, I might, uh, I've actually, my, my girlfriend who, who does a lot of the social media stuff or all of it, actually, um, she keeps telling me, she's like, you should start a, a podcast about like classic country. Like mm. she's, she's telling me like you, you come out with like a new fact that I've never heard. Like we've been dating for five years. She's like, you say something new about country music that I didn't know every day. Mm. I, to which I say it's because you don't listen half the time. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's definitely something that I have uh, considered. Maybe I will. I mean, I got a lot of freaking time on my hands these days. We're, think, we're not playing out nearly as much as we used to. Yeah, I think one of the lucky things with like me and the rogue country stuff was we knew 
kind of early on that the pandemic was going to hit how it hit. Mm-hmm. And we were like, we need to do things that are not going to be live shows because live shows, if we just consider them gone for now, we need to find new ways to reach people. And that's been what we've really been putting our time and effort into. But Storm the Gate with Robert Henry would be a fucking phenomenal podcast, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, yeah, I got to write that down. Storm the Gate with Robert Henry. That's a good idea, man. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, God. What was I going to say? I forget. Um, oh, yeah. The Rogue Country guys. Uh, they actually played um, Storm the Gate on their last episode. Mm. Um, and those guys are super cool. Speaking of, I mean, talking in between songs and not having a radio format, I would much rather listen to those guys talk about music mm. than, than any sort of, like, you know, FM radio show. Yeah, that's the thing. Cause... I think with um, Alex Tempest and Bob Lothian hosting it, it gives, again, it's got that podcast vibe to it, which I love because I'm a huge fan of, like, Two Bears, One Cave with... Tom Score and Bert Kreischer and those type of podcasts where uh, you have that personality on top of, you know, the interest that you came there originally for. And I think the Rogue Radio show is, you know, something that is going to be not necessarily a game changer, but I think it's going to make some waves. Yeah. Yeah, I hope I, all these all these alternative forms of media, I hope they keep going and I hope they really get integrated into country music because... um uh, like I said earlier, I mean, the way it's going in the mainstream, we might just have to create our own genre. Yeah, that's and, how I think it is definitely going with independent musicians like yourself. That it's just why would you wait for the gatekeeper to, you know, give you the keys when you can just fucking bypass it anyway? You realize the gate is attached to a wall that ends ten foot the other way. <laughs> yes, yes, I love it cool yeah. man well i'm gonna let you go thank you so okay. much for doing this but you know i don't know what you've got on plan for the rest of the day but i hope you have a great time and thank you so much well i mean i would keep talking to you for the next couple hours but if you're <laughs> gonna kick me off I'll, I'll kick you <laughs> off but I'll, i promise i'll have you back for another episode soon and if you're in the uk we're definitely gonna have to shoot the shit face to face as well but thanks so much man of course, of course, yeah. Um, I'll let you know if we end up getting d- some dates there. Once they start letting Americans back it over there, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to try and book some stuff. So, yeah, let me know and uh, appreciate it. Take care, man. Bye. Bye-bye. And there we have it, guys. That's episode 15 of Into the Van, Into the Bag. Please go check out Robert Henry and the Robert Henry Band. His EP in the works is absolutely brilliant. Storm the Gates, a standout track. But I've also, this morning while I was getting ready to edit this podcast, I've had his song Dark Side stuck in my head all day. So that's never a bad thing. So please go check out his music. Go listen to The Next Life. Go listen to Rogue Radio and just keep supporting the musicians and artists you love. Because in this world of the pandemic and the turmoil we live in right now, your support for these independent artists is what's going to keep people going. You know, there's all this panic about venues closing down and businesses and stuff, but, you know, they may not exist in the future that comes up, but music and art always will. It just depends where the outlets will be. So please keep on supporting your favorite podcasts, your favorite bands and musicians, your favorite artists, comic creators, writers, poets, comedians, whoever the fuck you love. Just keep supporting them, guys, and I'll catch you next time. Peace.